This is episode 112 of the Secret Library Podcast. My guest this week is Lucy Tan. So before we get to the interview, just a couple of announcements. One is that after last week's footnotes newsletter, uh, we've posted about the topic of writing a manifesto about your book over on the Facebook page, which you can get to at facebook.com slash secret library podcast. So I invite you to go over and check it out. And we'll also have a link to that in the show notes at secretlibrarypodcast.com. In addition, you can also deepen the conversation with us by joining our Patreon, which is available at patreon.com slash secret library. And you can always reach out to me on Twitter at at Caro Donahue. I look forward to hearing from you. Okay, so let's get on with the interview. Lucy Tan is the author of What We Were Promised, which is out now from Little Brown. Though she was raised in the suburbs of New Jersey, she spent most of the past 10 years in New York City and Shanghai. Her stories explore these and other spaces with special focus on characters who have a shifting sense of what they call home. Lucy holds an MFA in creative writing from the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where she was the winner of the August Derleth Prize. This fall, she will join the University of Wisconsin faculty as the 2018-2019 James C. McCrate Fellow in Fiction. A recipient of support from Cundum in New York State Summer Writers Institute and the Wisconsin Institute for Creative Writing, Lucy has published in journals such as Asia Literary Review, Sixfold, and Plowshares. It was really a treat talking to Lucy because, as I mentioned in the show notes and um, in the newsletter as well this week, I really, really love talking to people who have written a novel who have also teach writing. It's such a joy to talk to people who are on both sides of the process just as actively. And as someone who is a creative writing professor as well as a novelist, it was so wonderful to be able to navigate so nimbly from the sort of isolated process of writing a book on your own and communicating about writing to other people. I think you'll find her advice really practical, engaging, and useful. She's able to really distill down what it feels like to take on the enormous task of writing a book and to make it feel really manageable. So I'm really excited, and I know you're going to adore this. Um, I'm just so happy to share Lucy Tan with you. So here we go with Lucy Tan. Hi, Lucy. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. So I'm very excited to talk about what we were promised. I'm wondering if you can just give us a little overview of the book before we start discussing. I have a terrible habit of just diving right into talking about the book and not having anyone explain it. Um, So why don't you give us just a little taste of what we were promised and then we can get into it. Sure. So What We Were Promised is a novel set in contemporary Shanghai in 2010, and it's about a family by the name of the Zhens, and they are Chinese-American expats who are living in Shanghai. So um, we're talking about a family who has spent um, many years abroad, but they're coming home to China, and they're finding that it is totally different than the place that they had considered home so many years ago. Um, And what happens at the beginning of the book is there's a couple incidents. One is that a bracelet gets stolen from um, a woman's hotel room. The other is that her husband's long-lost brother comes to town. So for the Zhens, um, this becomes a very memorable summer in which 
many secrets are revealed and the book is told from the point of view of both of these main characters, Lena and Wei, as well as their housekeeper, Sunny. So it is a multi-generational family drama. There are so many um, moving parts in it. How did you kind of decide that you were going to tell it from, from Lena and from Sunny? And how did you make those decisions? Was that clear from the beginning or did that evolve as you explored the story? Well, this novel actually started as a short story that I wrote for a workshop in my MFA program. And it started as a short story about a maid who is accused of having taken a bracelet in the hotel room. So that was Sunny. It was Sunny's story to begin with. And um, my professor said to me, you know, this reads more like the opening to a novel. And when she said Mm -hmm. that, I, I sort of felt relieved because... So the opening of that story is this this housekeeper and she's exploring, she's getting very intimate with the objects in the room of these people that she that she knows so intimately because she handles their things, but she doesn't know them at all because they don't speak to one another because it's just not done right. um, because she's the help. And I, but I became more interested in that kind of, um, the kind of tension that exists between, uh, you know, the staff of the hotel and the people who live there. So I really wanted to also get the perspective of the people who live there. And so that's how I I think the multiple perspectives were coded into the DNA of this book for that reason. Um, So I had Sunny's perspective and then I knew I wanted to do Lena because the way that Sunny perceives Lena is very different from how Lena perceives herself. Right. And from then on, um, Wei made sense. Wei is Lena's husband because Wei presents a totally different side of life and, I would say, business culture in Shanghai. So, so I added him in there too. Um, and, and I guess it sort of just naturally grew from there. It's, it's so fascinating. I mean, the title is perfect, of course, because there is this sense of each of them and what they hoped for in their lives Mm -hmm. and then what's actually happening and the tension between those states as well. I mean, I think about Sunny, there's sort of this heartbreaking moment where, I mean, obviously Sunny is not her actual name and she has to go through this container of name tags and pick Mm -hmm. a name that's acceptable for her working in the hotel, even though she's in China. I mean, this would make more sense to me in, you know, in another country, but because she's in China, there was something really, um, sort of moving about her thought process and picking that out and starting to identify inside of the culture of that hotel. Well, there's a story that I want to tell you that's mm. um, related. Do. It's really fun. I mean, this is one of those anecdotes. So so I lived in China for two years after I graduated college, which is a lot, which is when this story is set. And it's where I also gathered um, many experiences that sort of went into the shaping of, of this book. And one of those experiences was um, I lived in a hotel very similar to the fictional hotel in What We Were Promised. And there was a woman who worked there. Um, all right, I won't give her name, but it's um, it's not her Chinese name anyway. But she, let's say she was Anna. Mm-hmm. And one day, and we would see her every day. Um, she sort of worked as, I think she was more of like a con- hotel concierge sort of role. Right, But she would be there when we came down to breakfast every day. And one day we noticed that her name tag no longer said Anna. It said Mary. 
and we were confused and we were we were just like why are you wearing um a, a name tag that says mary and she said oh well i couldn't find my name tag and mary was out today so i just used hers and this kind of blew my mind because i think i'm so attached to my name i would i would feel it's so not just wrong but it, it would just feel i don't know um nonsensical to wear somebody else's name tag but then i it, it sort of made me switch perspectives and try to see things from her point of view um and i could imagine an existence where that name tag is just your uniform right. and it's nothing you know she attaches no further importance to that name but in my mind she's been anna this whole time so i think that that is that experience is sort of where um the seed for that 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 fictionalized part of the story came from that's amazing i mean i think that is something that happens is that people identify so differently inside of a job mm -hmm. than outside of it and that it is an unusual tension that happens in a you know residential hotel these are not guests that are staying for two nights these are people i mean there are apartments that they're living in inside of the hotel right and that builds this whole fascinating culture it's a very distinctive community so yeah, it's interesting that you say that that's specifically when you live there, because one thing that I'm always interested in, particularly now, is the tension of when to set a book, even if it's contemporary, because there are so many factors that go into it, particularly in a place like Shanghai, where it's changing so rapidly yes. in the technology and the culture. So when you came up with the idea for the book, was it always clear it was going to be 2010 or was that a choice that you made? It was always clear because I think even when I was living there in 2010, I had this, it, I just felt like the atmosphere there was at a fever pitch in terms of um, things were changing so quickly economically, buildings are shooting up left and right. And everybody's sort of talking about is China going to be the next superpower? And it was just kind of in the air in a way that I really wanted to capture. Um, so partially it, it, it was intentional because of those themes, but also I, it just was convenient because I was living there during those years and I could say, okay, well, these were the nightclubs and, you know, this is sort of, the, the, these are the types of people that I encountered. Yeah, because then if you, if you even go to 2012 or 2014, it's a completely different thing. And I think that's a relatively new phenomenon that we're seeing in writing. And it, it bumps up against sort of publication calendars and so on. And yeah, it's it's oh, fascinating to me because if you think about a book that was set in like the 70s, it's like the late 70s and it took a couple years to write. And then and then it comes out in like 1980 that the world hasn't changed completely. Mm hmm in that period of time. But right. now, you know, we had all these books that people were starting to write in 2016. And they're like, Oh, no, I'm gonna have to set it a year earlier, because I don't want to deal with political things that were yes. happening that year. Uh, that's so true. Um, I actually so the the cover, there's the, the an image of the skyline on the cover. That's no longer current. Oh, yeah. Awesome. And I have friends who who will, will pick up on that. And they said, Oh, that, you know, the Shanghai Tower, that huge one that looks like a rolled up newspaper, that wasn't there. It was being built in 2010, but now it is the tallest structure um, in Pudong. Yeah, it's already, it's already dated. That's so fascinating. But I think that's a really conscious choice because you could see somebody wanting to put a current image of Shanghai that wouldn't reflect the reality of the book. Mm -hmm. 
Right. I think these are fun things that happen, though, is that the tension between periods of time mm-hmm. becomes more significant sort yeah. of as we move forward. And who knows how that will change um, because the, the timeline of publishing doesn't seem to change. I know. Isn't that, isn't that strange? <laughs> I think it Although is. Although now that I've sort of been through it, I, I kind of understand why it takes so long. And I think it takes a long time for a first book particularly because I think you're spending time building up the debut author and yeah. Absolutely. I think, I think that's true. I mean, I think it's, it's not that they're, you know, you're just sitting around. There's a lot happening. There's a lot happening. Finishing the manuscript. I mean, so when did you actually start writing the book? Because we're now in 2018. Right. The idea was germinated in 2010. So what, when did you first realize, okay, I do actually want to write about that period of time because you didn't immediately start your MFA you spent those right. years in China first. Right. So I spent, I graduated in 2010 and I spent two years in China and then I moved and I, at the time I knew I one day wanted to write about China, but I just thought I had never written a novel before. I just thought it was too difficult for me at the time. Um, so I worked a couple years as a product manager and I was working on short stories and I was um, sending them out and then I decided I wanted to go to grad school. So I started the University of Wisconsin in 2014, and during that first workshop, that's when I wrote a story called Ayi, which is which then became what we were promised. And mm-hmm. um, I mentioned that my professor was the one who encouraged me to sort of go for it. And she said during our meeting, she said, um, "You know, this sounds like a novel." And I said, um, "I'm so glad to hear you say that. Um, one day I will write that novel." And she sort of looked at me and she said what are you, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm writing stories. And she said, why don't you write this novel here? Because we can help you with it. And, and then I thought, I was like, you know, that makes a lot of sense. I, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> so I uh, wrote the first draft and that took about, I would say 14 months. And then I, um, I sent it to some agents that I had been in touch with and I ended up working with one of them, Rebecca Gradinger, who's amazing. And we revised that manuscript for six months and then we, and then we sent it out. And, yeah. And you uh, went right to Little Brown, which is yeah, amazing. Yeah. It was definitely the highlight of my life. <laughs> so far. <laughs> so far. Who knows what will happen next. But it's, it's pretty good. It, it was a very, I don't, you know, I don't even know because I think, I, I think you, the, the moment that I sold the book, I sort of went from dream to reality. Do you know what I mean? And I don't think that there's any, I don't think I want anything else more than I wanted that. Like, I don't think if I were to become a best-selling author, that would make me happier than that first book deal. And I don't think if I won an amazing prize, it would make me happier than that moment. I think it's this blessing and a curse to know that in these moments. <laughs> yeah, I I guess. It it's it sounds bad when I think about like it will never get better from here. I I don't like to think of it that way. I just I just think of that moment in my professional career as one that I feel like I'll never no one can ever take that away from me. And I think that's a beautiful way to start. And and there's there is this fascinating relationship we have to the debut author and you're sort of sitting inside of that world right now mm-hmm. about to, you know, step out into it. And I think that's a fascinating thing that 
having had that space to write the novel and have a, a community of support around you is really amazing because it's I so think, yes I feel extremely lucky yeah absolutely I mean I think that so many of us associate MFA programs with short stories as you obviously did that that's yeah. what you do in an MFA program and mm-hmm. I, I'm wondering if you can say a little bit about what it was like to switch to writing a novel inside of that world. Yeah. So I think the way that most writing workshops are structured is in, it is in service of the short story because you can just talk about it from beginning to end. And it's also a really great, um, I don't want to call it a teaching device because short stories is a genre all in its own. And it's, it's, amazing short stories are amazing um but they are they are easier for a younger writer or a newer writer to learn how to just make your sentences better and sort of create a scene in a economic way and all of the all of the building blocks of fiction um that those skills that you're working on can be refined in writing short stories over and over the novel felt really different to me um, because the forms are just so different. I, I just felt, and I think I had this theory that people are usually either better at, not better, I, would, I, I think I, what I want to say is that they're more naturally inclined to write one or the other, short stories or novels. Um, and for me, the novel felt like a much more natural form. Because with a short story, I was just, with my short stories, I, I think I, I don't know, I, I got too caught up in the details, as weird as that sounds, because a short story is so much shorter. But with a novel, um, that first draft, you can kind of just let your intuition take you where it will. And in a way, it requires a stronger act of faith, because you're sinking months sometimes years of your life into a thing that you're not totally sure if it will come to fruition in the way that you want it to. But at the same time, there's something really comforting about being able to come back to a novel that you're working on and feeling like if you don't have a good day working on it and things aren't clicking and the scenes that you're writing seem false or you have something that you're not sure about going on with your character that you want to figure out but you can't, um, you're not going to ruin the whole thing. Whereas sometimes I feel when I'm writing short stories, if I make a big enough cut, I'm just going to ruin the whole thing. <laughs> um, and maybe that's just my, I don't know, just the way that my brain works. I thought that the MFA program, the one that I went to at least, was extremely helpful when it came to writing a novel because so much of it is solitary work. And so much of it you can't, your teachers can only help you so much, right? Because you have this idea in your head that you want to get down on paper. And so that community aspect is just extremely important. And I went to a really small MFA program. There were six people in my class. and It was alternating years, um, sorry, alternating genres. So one hour year was fiction and the year below us um, was poetry. And it was a two-year program. So very small, but it meant that we had a let's see, what is the ratio? So in terms, it was something like a three to one student to teacher ratio, or was it two to one? I can't even remember now. Um, So our teachers were just always there for us. And that was very helpful um, because they, you know, outside of 
teaching craft, they're also there for, you know, what magazine should I send my stories to? Here are some people you should contact. Um, these are some agents that I've heard of who might be good for your book. And it's just, they're kind of, they're able to become not just teachers, but mentors in a way that is extremely helpful to rookie writers. I love the phrase rookie writers. I think yeah. that's great. Yeah, because I mean, everybody has to start there. You know, you mm-hmm. have to start not knowing quite what to do. And I agree with you completely about the short story versus novel thing. Mm-hmm. I think that there's so much pressure in a short story. It's like every sentence counts. Yeah. And every sentence has to be right. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think about Flannery O'Connor openings or whatever, where she just nails it. And it's sort of like gymnastics. It's like, are you going to stick it on every yeah. sentence? It's so true. There is something about the sentence to sentence relationship in a short story that feels so crucial to what the story becomes. Um, but if you don't, yeah, you know, you know, I, I still haven't cracked the code of how do you write? Cause there are people that I'm sure don't work that way. They, they plan and they structure their stories and they write amazing stories. I just don't know how to do that. It's, it's just, everything has to happen so quickly. And to me, a novel, writing a novel, there's more breathing room. Yeah, there's more breathing room. And I think you can, because there's more breathing room, you can explore. And um, I I just think that the novel is going to be smarter than I am at every given moment, right? So I think that in the course of writing it, I'm going to make so many mistakes. And at the end, hopefully I can step back and look at it and say, oh, this is sort of what the complicated thing is. So let me clear away all of the stuff that doesn't matter and try to streamline it. And it's upon revision that it then really starts to firm up into um, a, a, a fuller story and a more complete world. But it's just too much to hold in your head all at once. Um, yeah, especially when you, you know have I mean? as many characters with not just who they appear to be, but who they kind of are underneath as you did in the book. Yeah, well, I guess I hadn't thought of it that way. That part sort of felt very intuitive. But I do remember thinking, okay, well, each of these characters whose perspectives I occupy, they need to have a storyline for themselves and also one that kind of interacts with the other characters. And how am I going to manage that? And where am I going to place that in the in the book? Right. And when am I going to switch between people? Yes. I'm wondering how much, so this is really interesting to me always, is so you sort of entered the world of this story through Sunny and the being in the space mm-hmm. of someone else and that later became Lena and Way. How how did you kind of discover everyone's sort of secrets as they came? Did, were they were the secrets immediately apparent to you as you wrote them or you no. said mm, there's something going on with these people and then you sort of dug deeper? I dug deeper. I I didn't I knew that there was I hope this isn't you can cut this out if you think this is too much of a spoiler, but I knew <laughs> there was some element of a love triangle there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't know exactly how things had played out in the past. And right. the novel is written in a way where we're in the present and we sort of flash back into the past. And as the novel continues, you understand you have more of the missing puzzle pieces as to what actually happened between um, the main characters in the story. But, you know, there was a moment where I was writing and I said, I have no idea how I'm going to resolve this in a satisfying way. So... The secrets are were 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 things that I sort of 
was discovering as I was writing, which was very nerve wracking. But then later upon revision um, included those sort of subtle notes of foreshadowing that hopefully round out the story and, and make it not look like I was just writing as I was going. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is always a question is that if you know the secrets very clearly and you mm-hmm. set out to write a novel where this is the secret, mm-hmm. then the risk is that it's it sort of plays like an episode of Law and Order or something where right. where it's very, there's like that dun, 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 you know, kind <laughs> yeah. of moments leading up to it. And I think that, you know, having to discover it along the way is an important part of the process because mm-hmm. then it's a, it's sort of a discovery process for you as well as the reader. I totally agree with you. I write like I read. I need, and I think the element of surprise is really important for me at least because if I know what's going to happen, I feel almost as though I'm playing a trick on the reader. I know that that's not true, but it, it somehow feels that way. I feel like I'm... Um, creating this this puzzle that needs to be solved whereas I, I don't want to be doing that I want to be empathizing with the characters at every moment yeah I think that if you're really in tune with the characters then you're constantly asking the question kind of what would this person do would this what would this person do next or what mm-hmm. would this person do given these circumstances or how is this person feeling I think in writing a novel there's a lot of you know, what do you, when you're building a character, how much of the plot happens because the character, because of the character's personality, right? Or the the character's flaws or strengths or whatever it might be. And I think every writing guideline tells you that your action needs to come from your characters. And while I think that's true, I don't think it's fair to say that that's how it happens 100% of the time, because you do need a plot. And so you do need certain things to happen, right? And so your characters then become people who would do that thing. So then you think, what would make a character behave this way? Well, right. he or she must have this type of background or this, you know, y- you figure out answers for that as, as you're writing. But I do think that if that plot is a little too specific, it starts to read like they're just doing things to do them. And you lose that, um, I guess you lose the specificity of it. I think also there is a difficulty. I think some people seem to love this or hate this, of writing characters that have very different life philosophies and beliefs than themselves. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've spoken to people who've both loved it and feel this incredible sense of liberation of kind of shucking off their beliefs and other people that say, oh, it was really hard to empathize with this person. That's so interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. I'm wondering what your relationship was like to your characters. Did you find any of them particularly easy or difficult to empathize with? Um, yes. Well, I want to say that I agree with both of those points of view because I don't right. think I could write a book where everyone believed the same thing because then there wouldn't be any conflict. But that said, I have never been able to write the easier character because they are the easier character. So... I would say probably the character that gets the most um, page time in my novel is Lena. And I was so frustrated with Lena for almost the entire book. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think I came to see them as family members. In a way, I, their experiences are based off of experiences that my, my family members have had just by virtue of living in a hotel like, the, like Lance and Suites in the book and being American expats. But um, I found Lena a little bit more difficult to empathize with. I found Sunny the easiest to empathize with. Yes, of because course. she's lovable. <laughs> she's lovable, and she um, she makes the right choices usually, given her I- in any given situation. Um, but I think that it's gonna be a boring book if you have characters who don't do the bad things. Definitely, it's hard because you you're like, oh, I love Sunny, and you know, you don't want anything bad to happen to anybody, mm-hmm. even if it's not their fault. Mm-hmm. Especially if you get attached to a character, but the, you know. Maybe that's why we have to write characters like Lena that are harder to relate to because then it's easier to have difficult things happen. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. You just kind of have to back into it. I, yeah. I tend to dread dumping my characters in it. I get, you know, I, I put them in coffee shops for three scenes in a row, dreading a conversation. It's like, okay, <laughs> I know I'm going to cut this out, but I'm just sort of ramping up for this horrible encounter that I know is coming. <laughs> Well, that you bring up a really interesting point because I think for me at least, one thing that I was struggling with um, on the first draft, and I think this is just true for first draft drafts in general because I see it in student writing as well, is um, you write around the hard scenes. Exactly. And they're hard either because you don't think you're going to do it well enough or you don't want something, you know, that bad thing to happen or you just don't know how exactly you're going to do it. And so you write all these scenes that aren't the scene that you should be writing. Yep. But- I feel feel you have to cut yourself some slack on that first draft. Yeah, and just know, okay, I know this isn't going in, but for whatever reason, maybe I'll discover something about this. You know, discover something about the character by writing it the first time and then knowing it's getting cut. Oh, yeah, definitely. I I think that my subsequent drafts were so much – I just knew more, right, because I had lived more – I spent more time with these characters. And by the time that I was, you know, on that second draft revising, I would – look at a conversation and think she would never talk this way or this is way too you know it's got way too much exposition in it exactly I think there's a misconception I think that people have and it's understandable because they go to a bookstore and they look at a final draft and think oh this person just sat down and typed this I mean (laughs) we all know that's not true but I think that we have nothing else to compare it to you know as writers it's not like people publish their first drafts ever Mm -hmm. So there are things that you need to handle in a first draft. Like there's things that you're trying to work out. And then you mentioned earlier that, you know, as you were writing the first draft, it wasn't quite sure how some plot lines were going to go. It wasn't quite sure what the secrets were. Right. And then when you went back, you kind of handled it differently. So I'm wondering if you can say more about that figuring out process in the first draft and then how you refined it later. Yeah, well, the first draft, I was, as you say, figuring out a major plot point between two of my characters. And um, once I had those answers, I and I sort of uh, made the necessary revisions to their storylines, putting in those uh, points of, like, those turning points, I guess you could say, within that, that draft... Then the drafts after that, I was much more focused on the two remaining characters in the book who I knew I had neglected in the first time around just because I couldn't concentrate on that many things at once. 
I think and that's important two, to know. Yeah, that yeah. you can't handle everybody all the time every right, minute when right. you're writing. Right. Um, I just sort of thought, well, they're going to have to have something, you know, sat- there's got to be an arc there and I'm going to have to build this arc around the arc that's already built between Lena and Sean. Right. Um, and so it was in later drafts that um, Sunny and Way's character sort of came to fruition. Interesting. So I would say that Way, um, he, the second time around, he, his, his, storyline had sort of major revisions and then it wasn't until I sold the book and I was working with my editor that Sonny's storyline had the finishing touches put on. That's so interesting because the whole book started with Sonny. I know I know it's weird. It's like you came full circle Mm -hmm. with the whole process. Yeah. So you're off to promote and um, do the whole outward facing part of the writing process now. How are you feeling about getting started there? Um, I'm amped. I think that I have spent the last couple months sort of dreading it because it's so different from being, when you're a writer and you're so used to being the, the, the observer in the room and then suddenly you're playing a role where you're the one being observed. It's a big switch and, um, it's, it can be emotionally draining, but I think that I'm starting to become more mentally prepared. And, uh, what I've learned is that you will only have to handle a little bit at a time. So hopefully publication day and beyond will will feel manageable as well. Right. And then you get to retreat to the university this fall, correct? That's right. That's right. That's very exciting. Where it all started. Back. Coming full circle again. I know. It's all about coming full circle. That's so great. So you have that to look forward to. Do you, do you anticipate working on another book right away or are you going to give yourself some space? I have been working on a second book because there's all there's all this time between selling a book and working on revisions. And then, you know, there's a lot of um, there were two years between when I first sold this book. So I have been working on another project and I'm really excited to continue at the University of Wisconsin. Perfect. Yeah, because I think there's like this, oh, I'm exhausted, but there is so much time. So I think that is the good thing about the pace of it is that you get to continue. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and for for talking with me. It It was was my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, and I know everyone will really enjoy what we were promised, which is out now. Thank you so much for listening to the Secret Library podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this week's show. You can keep the conversation going by leaving a comment in the show notes at secretlibrarypodcast.com or visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash secretlibrarypodcast. You can also connect directly with me on Twitter or Instagram where I'm Caro Donahue. That's at C-A-R-O-D-O-N-A-H-U-E. I look forward to chatting with you there. See you next week. Until then, happy writing.